thank you, God, for this moment. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you love us enough, that you visit us, that you inhabit our praises, that you draw us closer to you, that in the midst of whatever situation that we're facing, that we know that you're there, that you haven't forgotten. Lord, that your presence is available. You'll never leave us. you never forsake us. Lord, we just make the commitment, all that we have for all of our lives, it's yours. Thank you. Lord, let your word come alive today. Let it speak to us. Let us be able to apply it to our lives and be changed by it. We thank you for it in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you put your hands together and let this worship team know how much we appreciate you leading us together. morning. Today we're beginning a sermon series on the book of James, and for the next 11 weeks we're going to be going through this book one verse by verse, passage by passage at a time, and we're going to dig deeply into what the author's intention was to the audience that he wrote it to and how it applies to our lives. And when you came in today with your worship guide, you should have received a reading plan as well. And this is meant for you to be able to follow along with where we are, to supplement your daily Bible reading that you have. Or if you want to dig really deep into the book of James, um, you'll know where we're going with these sermons. There's 11 weeks on there. It tells you the passages of scriptures that we're going to focus on and, uh, and give you more information about that. If you didn't get one of those, you can get one on your way out today. and We'll make them available online and by email as well. Um, so we're going to do a little pop quiz before we get started into the book of James because I want to give you a little background, a little information about who and when and what and where and all that kind of stuff. And I know some of you are just a couple days into your summer. You're like, I'm not ready for this pop quiz stuff. That's not why I came to church today. Uh, we're on summer break for the last three days. And some of you are like, I've been on summer break for the last 30 years. I'm not ever doing a pop quiz ever again. <laughs> But this is gonna be okay. I think we can we can make this work. So the question that I have for you today is just a one question pop quiz, so no worries. But who wrote the book of James? James. Awesome. Not Paul. I heard someone say Paul, and I'm just like, okay, I'm a failure. Walk away. Quit while you're not ahead, I guess. Very, very simple question. James. James wrote the book of, of James. I'm proud of you guys that got it. I wish. Uh, I wish uh, all of you had, had gotten a little quicker, but I know it's still it's still a summer Sunday. We're going to be okay. We'll, we'll get better as we go along. But James is the author of the book of James. And I want to give you some interesting notes about James because there's questions that people have from time to time of which James is. And actually, James is a pretty common name in the Bible. It's actually a derivative from the, the original name Jacob. And, uh, and so probably this name would... would even a better translation than James for us would have been Jacob. But this particular James was a well-known James. He didn't give much introduction to himself other than to say that he was James. Uh, but it's because he was so well-known in the early church, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Meaning that they had the same mother, but since God was the father of Jesus and not Joseph, that makes Jesus and James half-brothers. Despite this relationship... During Jesus' three years of ministry on earth, it's interesting that James really didn't look up to or respect his half-brother as the Son of God. And maybe, possibly, we have some, some good indication that James didn't even believe that he was the Son of God during that time. And it kind of makes sense, because if you think about it for a moment, imagine if your half-brother tried to tell you that he was God in the flesh. You probably wouldn't believe him either. You'd probably slap him silly, right? What are you talking about? Yeah, sure, you're God. Whatever. And actually, the Bible has a passage of scripture in the book of John where the half-brothers and sisters of Jesus show up and basically try to run Jesus off because they thought that he had lost his mind. And that's also what happens when your half-brother begins to publicly tell people that he's God, is you're like, you know, let's not try to quiet this as quick as possible. You're embarrassing us all. So what happened from the point in time where James was trying to run Jesus out of town and not believing that he is the son of God, to the point of writing this book that would cause James, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't fully believe that Jesus was God, to write a book of the Bible. Why would James change his mind? We don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't give us an indication of one specific moment or a big epiphany that he had. 
but maybe it had something to do with, uh, let's see, resurrection from the dead? <laughs> that might give you the upper card against your half-brother who doesn't believe you, right? So um, here's, here's got to be the easiest way to convince your half-brother that you really are God. Die, stay dead for three days, then come back to life and go eat some fish with him. That would probably do the trick. Yep. You know, I could just imagine and hear James now. Okay, Jesus, you win. You are God. I'm sorry that I tried to have you institutionalized and tried to run you out of town and all that kind of stuff. Can we just forget about all that and I'll go write a book of the Bible for you? Uh, I don't know what really happened, but it probably was something along those lines. Whatever it was, James' life was transformed to the point that in James chapter 1, verse 1, he not only says that he's a servant of God, but also of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but not long after writing those words and writing the book of James, he so believed in Jesus and had put his faith in him that he was willing to be martyred for his faith. Church tradition tells us that there was a mob in Jerusalem that grabbed James and they forced him, they basically dragged him to the top of the temple where he refused to deny his faith in Jesus and the mob throws him off of the Temple Mound. Not to his death, James lands and didn't die. Probably wasn't feeling very great after a fall from the top of the temple. But he still refused to deny Jesus. And history tells us that seeing that he was still alive and seeing that he was still unwilling to deny Jesus, someone picked up a stick and bashed in his skull repeatedly until he was dead. In fact, church tradition goes on to tell us that even while this was taking place, while the mob was attacking him, as they were throwing him off of the Temple Mound, as the the person was bashing in his head with a stick to his death, that James was praying for the mob that was attacking him. That's who wrote this. I think it's safe to say that James became convinced beyond doubt, not only of who Jesus was and his faith in him, but convinced of what he wrote because he lived what he, what he preached to others. He lived it well. Now, scholars, they agree that this book is among the earliest manuscripts that we have of any New Testament book. In other words, this was the first or at least one of the very first books that was written in the New Testament. This was written in the 40s, not 1940. I know 1940 seems like a long time ago and, and uh, to some people, but this was, was just the 40s. This was even longer ago than the 1940s. This is the 40s with no one nine, no one zero, no one anything. Just 40s, no numbers in front of it. It's written shortly after Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And what was going on during this time is that the, the scared followers of Jesus that had been running and hiding just a few days before, all of a sudden they got bold. And thousands of people are, are becoming Christians every day. And there begins to be an outrage and a persecution of the Christians because they thought they had ended this thing when they killed Jesus, but he came back to life and just emboldened everybody. And all of a sudden, miraculous things are happening, and people by the thousands are becoming Christ followers. And so they, they decide that they're going to persecute the early church. You remember Saul was originally a part of that before he had his conversion and became Paul. You remember that Stephen is martyred early in the book of Acts, and the Christians are being persecuted. And there's something that happens called the dispersion, which just means that they were dispersed or they were scattered all over because of the persecution that they were experiencing in Jerusalem. And probably they scattered because they knew that if they stayed in Jerusalem, like James did, that eventually mobs would begin forcing them off the roof of the temple and beating them in, beating their heads in with, with a stick. Maybe that's why they were dispersed. But be it as it may, they were scattered and the gospel spread even more. So this letter was really written just that as a letter, primarily... It says to the 12 tribes, which is a Jewish audience, that are scattered among the nations. But it's also clear that in his writing, James understands that his audience has become and is becoming bigger than just Jews. And that there are others that are coming to faith in Christ. So really, he writes in some places to all who are in Christ. The, the true church of God dispersed throughout the world. It's living in a contrary and a complex culture that was not easy for Christians to live in. It sounds like the world we live in. To Christian believers that are everywhere, that are scattered, that live in a world that's complex and not easy 
for us to always live in. There's four themes that are repeated <clears throat> that are repeated throughout the book of James, and you will see and hear these as we go along in the various 11 weeks of this. Those four themes are trials and Christian maturity, which is what we're going to talk about today. The second is true Christianity on display, not just believing something or or having a, a belief, but really living it out. Warnings and compromise and counterfeits and implications of a Christian worldview. So today we're going to begin in James chapter 1, and we're going to go all the way to verse 18. And I want you to understand that this was written as a letter to small groups of Christians that were scattered who either read this letter personally or someone read it to the small group, and they heard this letter read just like I'm about to read these first 18 verses to you today. So we're really, uh, as I'm reading this, uh, receiving it in the, in the way that it was intended to be received as a letter read to, to groups of people. And you can follow along in your Bible in James chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. If you have a smartphone or tablet device on the Bible app, the Version app, there's a, a live event section on there, and we're listed there, and you can follow along that way or on the screens as well. So we'll be in James chapter 1. Verse 1 through 18. And it says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you does lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers that are in humble circumstances, they ought to take pride in their higher position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since everything they have will pass away like a flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and it withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away and enticed by their own evil desires. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Now, there's a lot here. And honestly, preaching through the book of James in only 11 weeks is like t trying to do Disney World on a half day. For uh, all the guys that are not into amusement parks, but your mind is set on hunting, trying to preach through James in 11 weeks is about like approaching the hunting season by setting aside a part of one morning for elk hunting and hoping that you're going to have a successful outing getting elk. I don't know all that there is to know about elk hunting, but I do know that if you want to be successful, it takes some time and commitment to it. And then you hope you're lucky enough to not shoot an elk 10 miles from your truck. Otherwise, you may spend the weekend packing the meat out, right? Am I on, on the right track here? So we're, we're, we're up against a little bit of a challenge here, covering the book of James in 11 sermons in 11 weeks. There's a lot to preach in James. I could preach four messages, really, from the passage of Scripture that we read today. Verse number one really could be a message by itself about James. We talked a little bit about his background. But that's the reason why that uh, we're encouraging you to get the reading guide and to spend daily time reading and digging in because God's going to speak to you above and beyond what you receive from the messages here on Sunday. So this reading list, it's got the 11 weeks there. It's got the passages of scripture. Some of you are on social media. You're part of our New Life Church family page. You can go on there. We're going to have a post every week about the scripture reading. And if you want to interact with other people that are reading along with us, you can do that through the course of the summer and share questions that you have, the things that God is, is speaking to you. We'll do the same post on our Instagram. So if you're on any social media, you can do that or just have conversations with other people that are reading. You can take this list and turn it into a family devotion time. You can do a verse or two a day. You could read the passage 
you know, one day a week, however you want to do it. But we encourage you to engage with the book of James beyond just these Sunday morning opportunities. We really want our entire church to dig in together to this book because it's so good. Now, I will tell you that reading the book of James is not something that you do when you're just really needing to feel better about yourself and say, I just want to, you know, bless the Lord, happy, happy, joy, joy. That's not all what the book of James is about. Sometimes you read the book of James, you read a certain passage in it, and you walk away saying, okay, I'm not a Christian at all. I've completely failed at this thing. Where's the altar so I can get saved all over again? But I love that James is real. And I love that he is not afraid to tackle the difficult situations, everything from racism to the, the, the problem of the tongue, how to tame the tongue. It's going to be good. And I encourage you, allow God to speak to you. Allow him to show you the things that he wants to work in your life through it. But it's going to be encouraging. It's not going to be discouraging, but it is going to be encouraging, and uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be really good. So there's four things that I want to share with you today from what we just read in James chapter 1. And we're going to really deal today with that first theme that we talked about, the trials and temptations that come along with being a Christ follower. And it's just right that James would start off his letter with this. I mean, when you start reading that second verse and you, you read his, his interesting first statement introduction, it says, consider it pure joy. And if you stop right there and you try to guess what the theme of this chapter is going to be, you're not going to guess that it's trials and tribulations. You're like, oh, man, maybe this is good for Celebration Sunday like we had last week. We're going to celebrate what God's doing. No, that's really, that's not what it's about. Consider pure joy. Maybe that's a message about loving our family. That sounds like pure joy, doesn't it? Yeah, that's not it either. Okay, well, maybe consider pure joy because of all of God's blessings. Count your blessings. Yeah, that's also not the message. Those are good guesses, but it would probably take you a while if all you heard was consider pure joy to get around to trials and tribulations. But it's fitting that James starts this letter talking about trials and tribulations because, like I said, he's very real. How would you write a letter to people who've been persecuted and scattered and start off just talking about all the good things? No, he, he recognizes that there's been persecution, that there's been trouble, that these people have been forced from their homes, from Jerusalem, scattered throughout the world, and that maybe that's been a trial, a tribulation, a problem in their lives. And he doesn't shy away from it, but he, he, he attacks it head on. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. I love that as he's talking about problems and trials and stress and temptations, that he says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. He says when because our problems are predictable. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. We're going to face trials of many kinds. Simply having faith in God or the fact that we love and live for God doesn't exempt us from our problems. James knew that problems and difficult moments and painful situations and stress and trials and temptations and all that stuff is just going to be a part of life. I have to believe that James wasn't surprised as the mob began to surround him and drag him to the top of the temple. And I have to believe that the reason that he was able to begin to pray for his attackers, even as they were taking the last life from him, was because he was considering it pure joy whenever he faced a trial, just as he told us to do. Some of us know how to deal with problems in life, and some of us don't. Christians usually encounter two kinds of trials. There could be more. James says there's many kinds. But there's two primary ones that we see a lot. Number one, the first trial is that the one that comes when we're not in the will of God. These are meant to correct our path. And, and a, a famous example of that is Jonah, who knew what he was supposed to do, who heard the voice of the Lord, but yet chose to rebel against God and actually go the opposite way. And he encountered a storm and he encountered a whale. He was out of the will of God. But trials and problems don't always mean that you're on the wrong track because we also have an enemy that wants to try to derail us from the right track. And so the number two form of trial that we come to is when we are in the will of God. The disciples on the Sea of Galilee, they were exactly where God wanted them to be, doing exactly what he wanted them to do. 
and yet they encountered a storm that caused them to fear for their lives. So why did they have this trial? In that case, it's to perfect their faith. God wanted them to know that when Jesus is in the boat, even in the midst of the storm, that you can trust him. And the same is true for our lives. We'll get to that part a little later. Problems and stress and trials are all predictable in our lives as, as, as well, not just in people of the Bible, not just in people that were being persecuted in Jerusalem. We are going to experience hard times. We're going to have problems. We're going to have situations. And for us to, to come to church and put on a mask and pretend that everything is just great, I'm just blessed all the time, every day with Jesus is just amazing. It is because he's with us, but it doesn't mean that we get out of problems free card. And James doesn't try to pretend like everything's just going to be great. He understands that problems are predictable. Many of you here today, you're facing trials right now. There's more month left at the end of your money. Every Sunday on your way to church, you and your wife can't get along. It's only day three of summer break, and already trying to wake up kids for church today was a trial. World War III broke out. Still undetermined who's going to make it. They may not. Tomorrow morning, I get the privilege of taking my truck to the body shop because of a big, expensive, unexpected dent in our truck that costs a lot of money to repair. And here's the good news that you wanted to come to church for today. If you aren't having a problem right now, you will soon. I know that's what you wanted to hear. It's not if, it's when. We are going to experience problems. Problems are predictable. Once we realize that it's going to happen, we can move on and learn how to properly deal with them. And James tells us we should consider it pure joy. Now, that's easier said than done. It's easier said than done because it's difficult in the midst of a, a real-life situation, in the midst of a real-life problem. When there's problems at home, when doors are being slammed, when all of a sudden it gets really real, that's not the moment that we tend to consider it pure joy. But we're going to understand how we can do that and why we can do that. But the second thing I want you to know is that there's many different kinds of problems Problems are predictable, but they're also can be very painful. Just because they're predictable doesn't make them easier to deal with or less painful. Problems not only happen, but they hurt. James talks about trials of many kinds. He's acknowledging that not all trials are alike, and he gives three examples in verses 9 through 12 that we read just a minute ago. Example number one is, he says, a brother in humble circumstances. Some problems or trials are job-related. Some of them are, are financial our world and our culture may not think that such a person has much, much worth or value to God, but God says differently. James says that a person in those circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. The second example is one of the person who's rich. Some per problems are not created by a lack, but because of what we have. And we discover there's things that money can't buy. Mm -hmm. James says the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a flower and everything that he has. All of us have different circumstances and situations in life. Life is a limited period of time. He gives the example of, of a flower that blossoms and then it fades. Everything that we have is just tools and resources that God's placed in our hands. So those in poverty and those with plenty, they both have problems. The Bible tells us that it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. We're all going to experience the ups and downs. The third example that James gives is a person under pressure. James talks about a man who perseveres under trial. Some of our problems are domestic. Some of them are a result of fear of failure. Some are natural. Others are accidents. And still some are caused intentionally. They're by design from others who intend to cause us pain. Oftentimes, as humans with limited understanding, we think that our problems or trials are specifically painful situations that somehow contradict God's goodness. But life is going to have its ups and downs. The Bible is full of stories of people who loved God, but yet they suffered, not as a result of God's goodness, but as a result of the problems that we have in life. Think of Job, who was so faithful, yet he lost so much and experienced so many painful situations. Think of Mary and Martha, who Jesus loved, and the plan that they had, but then how that was removed and the pain they experienced over the death of their brother Lazarus. Jesus himself experienced pain in Hebrews 12, 2. It says and reminds us that it was for the joy that was set before him, 
here comes this idea of joy in the midst of pain again. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. There's that idea of this, this painful situation, this, this trial, this, this struggle. Jesus had, knew the cross was before me in his humanity because he was fully human as well as being fully God. He said, God, if there's any other way. But there wasn't. He endured the cross. Jesus told us that in this world, you'll have trouble. In our lives, we can not only predict that there will be problems, but there's going to be painful moments and situations in our lives. There's things that we're going to have to go through that we would choose not to endure, and they're not a reflection on who God is. God's desire is not for us to experience pain, but unfortunately, we live in a fallen world, a sinful world, and God did not create us to be robots. He gives us the choice. We can choose to serve him, to love others, to be kind. We can choose the exact opposite, to disobey, to rebel, to hurt others, and even intentionally, even as we've seen in our world this week. You can choose to cause pain for others, and others can choose to cause pain for you. There can be difficult situations that just occur. You may be facing one of those situations right now, or maybe you have in the past, or maybe you will in the future. Sometimes we would rather not think about that. We would rather pretend that everything is good and serving God only results in blessings. But I love that James is real and tells us what we can expect. But I love mostly that he doesn't leave us there. He goes on. Problems are not only predictable. Problems are not only painful. But problems are purposeful. You've likely heard the expression that what doesn't kill us will make us stronger. Make us stronger. We don't like that. That's not the route that we want to go. James shares that problems in our lives serve a purpose and are profitable to us because they produce two things. The first thing is purity. The word that James uses for, for testing in this first chapter is Dokuminion has nothing to do with the minions of Despicable Me. <laughs> Just a coincidence. But that word is also translated as a purging. It gives the idea of a precious metal that's purified, and that happens through a process of being heated up to the extent that the metal actually becomes liquid, and all the impurities rise to the top and can be skimmed off. And the purest of metals, the most valuable of metals, will go through this process multiple times where they're heated up, it's skimmed. They return to their form. They're heated up again. I don't know about you, but if James is comparing that process to what we go through in our lives, it sounds that it can be painful. But it results in a purification process that results in a greater value for our lives. And sometimes this is exactly what's going on in our lives as we go through difficult things, that God is working out the things that don't belong in our lives, and what's left are the things that really matter. But sometimes we've so attached ourselves and so intertwined our lives with those things that don't belong and that don't matter that it becomes a painful process when they're removed. It's a process of purification. The second process that's happening is perseverance. Mm -hmm. Developing perseverance is not uh, easy in any area of your life unless you want to, like, you know, become... Uh, develop a perseverance for eating a lot of wings or something like that. I'm going to eat the most hamburgers of anybody in Laramie. That might be a fun process, probably still going to be painful in the end. But I mean, other than that, developing perseverance in any other area of your life um, is, is pretty difficult. Four years ago, I ran the first and probably the only marathon that I will ever run. Something weird happens to you when you're running that long. I think you lose your mind. While I was running like miles 18, 19, 20, that range right there, I was beginning to think and plan, this is awesome. I love this. I feel amazing. I'm going to run another one right away. I want to run these every year. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's not happening. It's <laughs> terrible. At the time that I made the decision that I was going to run this marathon, I had been running at least a mile every day. Sometimes I'd do a 5K or a little bit more. For two years, I had never missed a day of running a mile. Do you know the difference between running one mile and running 26.2 miles? Perseverance. Got a smart aleck in the first service that said, yes, yeah, 25.2 miles. <laughs> For three months, as I was training, I had to run and run 
and run. And every day I would measure how far I would run and I'd run a little further. I'd run a mile further, a couple miles further. And for a while, it really wasn't a problem. You can, you can incre increase your running from a mile to 10 miles fairly easily. Beyond that, there's, there's things that begin to happen. There's pain involved in the process. I remember the amount of hours that I had to put in training for this marathon just to do it in three months was almost like working a part-time job. Sometimes it felt like a full-time job. I remember one day going to work for 10 hours and needing to run. I had to run. I knew that the, the date was approaching. I was going to be prepared. So I remember going to work for 10 hours, getting off late at night, going to the gym and getting on a treadmill and running five more hours. That wasn't enough time to run 26 miles. That was just the next step in the process. The training and the developing perseverance was a long process. It wasn't easy. It was painful. It didn't happen overnight. There were moments that I remember that I would run 12 or 13 or 14 miles and I would stop on the corner because there was traffic. I was running outside. And when I went to go take the next step, it's just like I just lost it, just crumbled to the ground. And that was it for that day. It was all that, that I could take. And, and I had to call for a ride to take me home because I, I literally couldn't even walk home anymore at that point. There was pain involved in the development of perseverance. But the end result was after months and months of training and preparing that I ran the race. I finished that course and I accomplished the feat at Disney World. I ran through all four Disney parks. Great thing about Disney in January, it's not cold, it's not hot, and it's flat. It was great. I still don't recommend it. <laughs> the problems that we have in our lives they can be purposeful, they can be profitable if we allow them to be, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to be painful in the process because the development of perseverance is a painful process. But in the course of that happening, God is showing us things about ourselves and he's developing something inside of us that enables us that when the problems that are predictable do come, we can weather the storm and we know where to turn and we know that we can depend on him and he's going to be with us there with it. We're not the only ones to experience problems and have to go through trials and painful situations. There was a young man that was fired from his job in 1919 from the Kansas City Star. And not only was he fired, but to add insult to injury, he was told that it was because he had no imagination and no good ideas. You care to guess who that was? Walt Disney probably felt that that was a painful time in his life. Even though problems are predictable, he probably didn't predict losing his job and being told that he had no imagination and no good ideas. <laughs> Ultimately, he went on to prove them wrong. Maybe he used that to develop perseverance in his life to be able to accomplish something greater. Just think Walt Disney World could have been in Kansas City instead of Florida. We could be a little closer to it maybe. I don't know. But he's not the only person to experience those situations either. There was a young man that wanted to be an engineer. And he wanted to work for a Toyota. That was his dream. He applied and they would not hire him. They turned him down. He lacked what he was going to need to be able to do it. But he knew that he was, he was capable. So what did he do? He didn't quit. It was probably a painful process, the process of rejection and not being hired and not being able to fulfill his dream. But instead of quitting, he persevered. And he went to his garage and he started making scooters. And he said, well, that's a big jump from Toyota to scooters. Well, he didn't stop with scooters. He graduated from, from scooters to something a little bigger and then on to something even, even bigger. And then I wonder if any of you here today drive a Honda because that was the end result of what he created. He didn't fulfill his dream, but he didn't give up on it. He developed a perseverance, and he went on and developed something in his life. Who knows if he had gone to Toyota, if he would have ever really accomplished something as great as what he did. There's painful situations. There's painful moments. They're predictable. Last week, we prayed for Donna and the situation that she was going through. I can guarantee you that she would not have chosen to, to have the accident that she had and to have to go through what she's gone through this last week. It's been a painful process, but she's not alone in the course of the process. We don't know what it is that God develops in us through these difficult situations and through these seasons. Sometimes we don't know for a long time. Sometimes we don't ever know. Sometimes we can look back a distance removed from it and see what God was doing. Sometimes it's not God doing it at all. It's just the natural course of our life and God's with us in the process and we have to weather the storm. For all these people and for others, there's trials, challenges, and problems. It's not all smooth sailing. 
But those that persevered, it wasn't the end of the story. They probably didn't always consider it pure joy, but they grew from their trials and something better happened as a result. Sometimes God wants to use our painful situations in our lives to shape and mold us into who he desires for us to be. Maybe there's moments in our life where we would sell ourselves short and God's having to course correct to get us on the path that he wants so that he can do what he wants to do in our lives, even though it's not the path we would have chosen. There's moments and experiences that we won't always enjoy and that we won't want to consider them pure joy, but God is working in the details, whether he caused it or whether he's able just to use it for his benefit. But James tells us that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And we may not like it. We may not like the producing of perseverance, but even that's not the ultimate goal. James says this, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's desire is for you to be mature and complete, for you to be whole. He doesn't want you to be lacking. The perseverance is just to get you to the ultimate goal of maturity in him. Not only do problems produce something in us, but as a result, God promises something for us. Problems come along with a promise. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This idea of a crown, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible thought. It's an incredible promise. But I don't want you to miss the powerful image of what James was really talking about when he wrote this because our translation of it leaves a lot to be desired. And when you look at what James was actually writing in the audience that he was writing to, how they would have understood it, it's even a, a deeper level. James, he uses this idea of the crown of life, but the word that he uses for crown is stephanos in Greek, which is not just an, an ornate crown. It's not a bedazzled accessory I like that word. I did plan to, to use that, but I, I discovered that in the first service. I'm sticking with it. It wasn't just a bedazzled accessory. We had the ladies' tea here yesterday. I wasn't here for it, but I was able to see some of the hats that the little girls had made, and they were pretty bedazzled. And so when we read a crown of life that God is going to give us, we think of a bedazzled hat, an ornate piece of, of jewelry, an accessory that's going to be beautiful. And that's not what Stephanos is talking about. The word Stephanos, it was a crown made up of thorns woven together like the one placed on Jesus' head as he was being prepared for crucifixion. A Stephanos was the symbol of Jesus' glory and his suffering. James, who's writing this just a few years after Jesus had been crucified, after he died, after he'd risen from the dead, to an audience that was very familiar with it, many of those who would be reading this letter had personally seen the resurrected Lord. They had an experience. James was tying in the suffering and the trials and the problems that we face with the same situation that Jesus faced. That in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of something that was intended to be a crown meant for ridicule and mockery and to bring suffering, and it did for a moment, ultimately there's a victory that Jesus accomplished because he did, so can we. So when James tells us that blessed is the person that perseveres under trial because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. He's saying that the same way that Jesus overcame the problems and the trials and the situations in his life, so can we. And even though it may be a painful process, even though there may be a Stephanos involved, that that crown of suffering is going to be traded for something much better in our lives. We are saved by trusting in Christ, but we're crowned when we're tested by fire and when we continue to love him. Jesse, if you want to go ahead and come and begin to play softly. The main idea that I want you to know today is that there's purpose in our pain. It could be that your greatest ministry will come out of your greatest hurt. And maybe that because of the result of, of you having to go through a painful situation in your life, and God redeeming that and using that for you, that God's going to give you an open opportunity to reach out and administer and speak life into others who've been through something similar. The process of new life is exciting. The process of, of, of birthing a baby is pretty awesome. We have a newborn here with us that we dedicated just last Sunday. It's awesome, but it's a painful process. We have to remember that God has a purpose for our pain and so new life never happens absent of a birthing process and that process is painful but you know what happens a few moments after 
the birthing process is that that mom is no longer whining and complaining about the pain or even focused on that at all. The attention shifts to the new life, to the purpose behind it. And when there's a purpose in your pain, you realize that God's doing something and that he's using what you had to go through and that God's faithfulness is on display. And when we understand that problems are predictable and that they're going to come and that sometimes those problems are going to be painful in our lives, but that God is faithful in the midst of that, then when we encounter those problems, then when we uh, find persecution like the church had in Jerusalem and they had to scatter, we realize that God is doing something. If those, if those people that had seen the resurrected Lord... <coughs> that had eaten with him and seen him be crucified and seen him die, if they would have all just stayed in Jerusalem, maybe they reached the entire city of Jerusalem, but maybe that's it. The process of persecution and then being scattered and the dispersion, it had to have been difficult and challenging. And James is addressing those people and telling them, consider it joy when you face trials of many times. But if God had not caused this to happen, if there hadn't been some kind of dispersion, if they hadn't been scattered, the gospel message would have never spread to the rest of the world. It was through that painful process that we're here today, that the message traveled beyond Jerusalem, beyond Israel, to the whole rest of the world, that, that it took a painful process for people to understand that when Jesus said, go into all the world, and some days went by and they hadn't gone, yeah, people were coming to know him, but they hadn't gone. It required a painful process for his will to be accomplished. And sometimes it's through painful situations that God accomplishes those things in our lives. Not the path that we would choose, but God's doing something greater that maybe we can't see at the time. I don't know if anyone of those people that James is writing to ever realized that as a result of the persecution and the scattering that God and his purpose and his message was spreading further than it ever would have. That what was intended to be we're going to drive these people out of Jerusalem because we want to end this. In fact, multiplied it at a rate that would have never been possible. Before the internet, before email, before radio and TV, these people went. They got on boats. They traveled long distances in a painful process but accomplishing God's will. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, he was talking to a young missionary that was about to start work in China, and Taylor pounded his fist on the table. And the teacups jumped and the tea spilled all over the table. And the startled young man was wondering what was going on. Taylor pointed to the spilled tea and he explained, when you begin your work, you'll be hit all around you in numerous ways. The trials will be unexpected and they'll be like surprising blows that come out of nowhere. But remember, these blows will only bring out what is already in you. What is it that's inside of us that's going to come out when we experience the predictable problems of life and the painful situations that we go through? There's a quote that I love, and it says, Unless there is within us that which is above us, soon we will yield to that which is around us. I'm going to say it again. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us on the inside matters who you are and that's why God is not willing that you would remain on an easy path where you are but he's wanting to produce something in you that's going to cause you to be mature and complete not lacking anything so what do we do how do we deal with and prepare for the problems and the pain James lists, James lists some things that we need to do. He gives some practical advice. I love this about him because it's not just all theory. There's some really good practical stuff. So really quick, there's four things. Number one, start with prayer. Start with prayer. James says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. When you're facing a trial, when you're going through a storm or a situation, when you're in the midst of the painful, predictable problems of life, turn to God. Well, God already knows. Maybe God's the reason that I'm here. We want to blame God. All these things turn to him because his presence in the midst of the storm makes all the difference. We've got to admit that we need his help. We've got to ask. We've got to accept what he wants to give. The second thing we've got to do is have faith. Verse 6 says, When you ask, believe and do not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. That person won't receive anything from the Lord. How many times do we ask and pray these prayers that are like, 
oh God, I don't even know if you care. I don't even know if you're going to do anything about this. And we've, we've already explained away God's ability to move before we even ask anything. We've, we've not asked in faith. We've asked in doubt. James says, have faith. Believe and do not doubt. Don't be like the one who's blown and tossed by the wind. He says that person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Trust God in the midst of the storm. Third thing we have to do is resist temptation because a lot of our storms, a lot of our trials come from an enemy that his purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And even if the storm isn't from the enemy, he will come in in the midst of that situation with temptation in your life. In the midst of our trials, we often face temptations. We have to understand where the temptation comes from and where it leads to. Even though God can allow trials in our lives, he never sends temptation. James tells us, that no one should say that God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is, is tempted when by his own desires he's dragged away and enticed. Those temptations, they don't come from God. But listen to where it leads to. They come from our own desires that lead to temptation, and temptation gives birth to sin, and when it's full grown, it leads to death. As believers, we can overcome temptation with God's help. Paul put it this way, No temptation seizes you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Under what? It goes back to what James said. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The enemy's going to come in like he did with Adam and Eve. He really hasn't changed his tactics since the very beginning. In the midst of a trial comes the temptation. And we have a choice to make in the midst of the temptation. And often when we're under trial, often when we're facing a stressful situation, that's when the enemy's going to attack with temptation. You have to choose to resist the temptation. One of the best ways to resist temptation is to know and be reminded where it comes from and where it leads you to comes from the pit of hell and that's exactly where it will take you if you follow that path. The fourth thing that we have to do is receive the gift of God. I love that James, in the midst of talking about trials and stresses and problems and temptations, he stops and ends this whole passage with a reminder for us that, that God cannot tempt us, that God isn't tempted by evil and he doesn't tempt anybody, but that every good and perfect gift is from above. God is a giver of good perfect gifts. He gives us a way of escape. He gives us a path for salvation. He gives us his presence in the midst of the storm. We have to receive the gift of God. And today, before we end, I want to give you an opportunity to receive the gift of God today. Maybe you're here today and you're not in a right relationship with Christ. The greatest gift that you can receive from him is a new life and a relationship with him. And so I'm going to lead us all in a simple prayer that will acknowledge our dependence on him and invite him to become the Lord of our lives. And I'm going to invite everybody here to pray this prayer along with me. And maybe you've prayed a similar prayer before, but you know when you walked in here today that Jesus wasn't the Lord of your life. Or maybe you've never prayed this before. I invite everybody here to pray this prayer along with us. There's nothing special or magical about these words. We're simply following the Bible in obedience. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise. So come on, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. That while I was far away, I was far away in sin, that at that moment, and that moment you, chose you chose to give Jesus for me. To give Jesus for me. Today I confess, Today I confess that, Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I believe that when he died on the cross, he died for my sin. Today I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
every head bowed, every eye closed, respecting the privacy of others around you. If you prayed that prayer today, whether for the first time or you've prayed it before, but you know that today you made Jesus the Lord of your life, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me today. Today I prayed that prayer and made Jesus the Lord of my life. Is there anybody here today that prayed that prayer? Awesome, awesome. The second thing that we're gonna do today is this. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come forward. The first step is a step of salvation, a relationship with Christ, but often, even beyond that relationship, we are going to experience pain and problems and situations in our life. And, and there's people here today that are going through those situations, and we'll get into it later in the book of James, where it talks about agreeing together in prayer and laying hands on the sick so they'll recover. But we, we're a Pentecostal church. We believe that. We believe that God's alive, that he still moves today, that he can heal our bodies, that he can move in difficult and possible situations, and that if nothing else, that his presence can be with us through the storm. And so I'm going to invite you to stand all over this place and invite our prayer team to come forward. Jesse's going to lead us in this song. And regardless of the problem that you're facing, maybe it's one of those painful situations. Maybe you need help resisting temptation. Maybe you've struggled to have faith in the midst of the storm and, and you've, you've been challenged having doubt and all those kinds of things. Or maybe it's something completely different, but you just say, you know what, I need prayer today. I want someone to agree with me in prayer. We believe that prayer moves the hands of God. The Bible tells us that it's powerful when we pray. The prayer of a righteous man avails much, but also that there's something greater that happens when two or three agree on any one thing, that there's, there's power in that prayer. And so today, that's what we want to do. This prayer team is not here today to get into your business and find out all the juicy stuff about what's going on in your life and share that with anybody. They've simply been praying for this opportunity at this moment in this service and all of our services and believing that God would, would meet us here and move in this altar time and do things in people's lives that only he can do as we agree together with them. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And then at the end of that prayer, I'm going to invite you to come and find one of these prayer team members to pray with you. You can share as much with them or as little as you want. You can simply say, pray with me, and they will. Or you can tell them some details and give them some, some area that they can agree with you in prayer. But we want to turn this entire room into a prayer room and an altar for just a few moments and allow God to do what he wants to do. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would move. God, within the sound of my voice today are people that are going through the painful problems of life even right now. There's people that are encountering situations and possibly if you had questioned, God, where are you? Why are you not moving? And God, I pray that today that they would sense your presence surrounding them. Lord, that they would know that you're walking through them in the storm. And even though there's painful moments in our lives, that what you are going to be producing in their life as a result of this is going to be far greater than any situation that they could face. So God, we look to your example. How with joy you, choose, you chose to endure the cross for us. And Lord, we realize that there's a crown for those who endure the suffering and overcome. Lord, we want to be overcomers in this place. Lord, you have promised us that you're working and you're moving in those situations in our lives. You've promised us that greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would move in the lives and situations of people that are here. And, the Lord, that they would experience your moving in the God that's a good God the giver of every good and every perfect gift in this place today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.